I don't know how your week has been. I don't know if it's been a week of highs or a week of lows or if it's been like a trip to Six Flags and it's been everywhere in between. But I want to say welcome, and I want to say no matter where you are this morning, we have a good God. We have a Jesus that loves us, and he wants to meet us right exactly where we are, whether that is in the midst of hurt and pain, which I know is taking place in this church this morning or whether that is in the best week of your entire life, whether you're at the peak of the mountain or you're just fighting waves in the ocean, or you're somewhere in between, this morning we have a God that loves us. And this morning we get to dive into his word. And so we don't always start with prayer, but I feel like this morning we need to start with prayer. So hey, let's go ahead and pray again. We can't get enough of it in. Jesus, we come before you as a church that desperately needs you. Jesus, we need your love. We need your grace. We need your guidance. Father God, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate and bring to life the scripture that you inspired long ago. Jesus, we know that it is applicable. We know that we need it in our lives. and We want to live our lives based off of what your word says. Help us to do that this morning. Would you open our eyes to see where we have fallen short? Would you allow us to turn that over to you and receive your grace and your mercy? Jesus, would you meet us exactly where we are? Would you speak to us this morning? Would you speak through me? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right. Thank you, church. Well, hey, we are in our second week of Who is Jesus? And we are asking the question, pretty simply, who is Jesus? We are allowing Jesus to answer that question with seven answers that he gives in his I am statements. And so in the Gospel of John, we will be in chapter 8 this morning. That's where we're going to be. The rest of the series is the Gospel of John. This is where we find these I am statements. And this morning, I just want you to know that I'm excited about God's word. We are going over where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And I think as Christians, we see that on enough t-shirts, enough bumper stickers, on enough coffee mugs, that we think we got it down. We think that we get it. But I want you to know that God's word is deep, and it takes us all the way back to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament points to Jesus. And then what comes after Jesus in the epistles points back to Jesus. And it all comes together perfectly in this beautiful picture that we find in the Gospel of John in Jesus this morning. So God's word is good, y'all. And if you're not spending time in it, let's spend some time in it because it is alive, it is real, and it will speak to our hearts and it will meet us exactly where we are. And that is my prayer this morning. This morning, Jesus sets the scene. We start off in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus is in the treasury with his disciples and with other people around. Now, this is the part of the temple that you would walk into the temple, and it was the big courtyard. It was the court of women. This was the biggest place, the busiest place in the temple, and it had a place of high importance within the process of worship for these Jewish people. There were 13 trumpets within this area. And what a trumpet is, I think if you're like me, you're thinking, all right, we're going to have a little jazz band going on, going to get our temple worship bumping. Let's go. Come on. It's not that at all. 
Actually, what a trumpet is, is a treasure chest that isn't like a treasure chest at all. I think treasure chest, I think Indiana Jones, it's not like that. It is like a big vase of a treasure chest that starts out wide and it gets narrower towards the top. And there were 13 of these trumpets or these treasure chests within this part of the temple, within the treasury. The first seven were designated for specific sacrifices. So I know that we are going to be doing this in the temple today. I need to give money to this. I know that there needs to be upkeep within the gold vessels, the gold parts of the temple. So I need to put money in this trumpet. And so as a Jewish person, you would walk into the temple, into the treasury, this big courtyard. It would be like we have out here, but it would be the biggest part of the temple. And as you walk in, you would put money in the first trumpet. You put money in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and then the seventh trumpet. And then, if you had any money left over, then if you were well-to-do, then you would put money in the remaining trumpets, number eight through 13, for love offerings and every pastor's favorite word, undesignated giving. Okay? You'd fill them up. So because of that, this courtyard, this place in the temple, the treasury, needed to be well-lit because it was a place of high importance. Now, at this time, within the Jewish calendar, there were, there were multiple celebrations that they would take part in throughout the year. And within this time, the Feast of Tabernacles was taking place, also known as the Feast of Booths. And so this was two big celebrations that all commemorated the 40 years that the Jewish people spent in the wilderness. The first party was the pouring out of water. And in this moment, this is where Jesus says, I am the living water. And we're going to go back to that. That is in John chapter 7. But in this particular moment where Jesus finds himself in the temple, takes place just after the illumination of the temple. All right? Think burning man, but less sin and for God. Okay? Jesus takes advantage of this moment. All right? So this recently takes place. And what the illumination of the temple, what this celebration is, is there is, this is a huge courtyard, and there are four torches, four candelabras that go all the way, all the way up to the very top of the walls of the temple, on the four corners of the courtyard, up as high as the highest wall, and each one of these things has 65 liters of oil. When these things were lit, the entire temple was lit. When these things were lit, most of Jerusalem could see the lights. Most of Jerusalem would have been lit as well. And when these things were lit, guys would dance around them and hold hands and they would bang their cymbals because they were worshiping God. And what was the purpose of all of it? The purpose of all of it was to look back to the Old Testament, to remember the great pillar of fire that led them while they were in the wilderness, the great pillar of, of fire that met them when the Egyptians pursued them, when they were on their way out of Egypt. And so that is the scene that we find ourselves in this morning. Those torches still charred, still in place. At this moment, Jesus raises his voice up over the crowd, and there is no more dramatic setting no better time for Jesus to teach and to say what he is about to say than right now. And that is when he says it. John chapter 8, verse 12. Go ahead, turn there in your Bibles, turn them on, scroll to it. John chapter 8, verse 12. So good. John eight twelve. Jesus sets the stage to say these words. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what is Jesus claiming here? We saw last week that when Jesus claimed to be the bread of life, that that was actually two statements. So again, there are two statements here. There, are, there is the statement of I am, and then there is the statement of I am the light of the world. And so when Jesus says I am in this setting, what does that mean? Jesus saying, remember those four torches? Remember what they symbolize? Those four tor- torches symbolize this thing called the Shekinah glory, all right? It's not like, it sounds like Shakira. It has nothing to do with Latin pop music, okay? The Shekinah glory is the presence of God with his people. That's what Jesus is getting them to remember. They would have looked up, they would have seen these, and they would have thought back to Exodus. And Jesus is saying, think back to Exodus again. Think back, you Jewish brothers and sisters, when Pharaoh let our people go, finally, after the ten plagues. Think back to when Moses led our people out of Egypt. Think back to when they approached the Red Sea. Think about when the Egyptian army chased us, and think about when they were met with a pillar of fire. And remember how that pillar of fire fought them off and defended our people as Moses God parted the Red Sea using Moses, and Moses led the Israelites through the Red Sea. The presence of God in that pillar of fire protected them. Jesus is also saying, think back to the wilderness. In the wilderness, where the Israelites were working their way throughout the wilderness of the area, they were in there for 40 years. And for those 40 years, God guided them and he shielded them by a cloud during the day. So if they needed to know where to go, they would look at the cloud that they were following, all right? And it would form a certain way, and they would follow it in that direction. He says, think back to the wilderness. When I illuminated your camp, and I protected you at night by a pillar of fire. Think back. And then Jesus says, I am. And when Jesus says, I am, Jesus is saying, it was me. It was I that protected you as you fled Egypt and towards the Red Sea. It was I who led you through the wilderness. It was I that identified with the Shekinah glory. It is I that is God's presence with you. I am God and I am with you. Here's a really, really cool fact. I love to share these when I come across them in my studying, but the pillar of fire that burnt bright throughout the night to keep the Israelites protected so that they could see throughout their camp. They would keep danger away from their camp so they wouldn't be in harm. It was concealed during the day because the glory of God would burn so bright they could not look at it. It was concealed throughout the day and it was replaced with a cloud above them. When Jesus came, Jesus coming, being born of a virgin, coming to earth, was God concealing himself wrapping himself up, wrapping his glory up into flesh so that we could look at him. This is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, I am God in the flesh. This I am statement means I am God the Son, and although I am concealed, although my light is concealed physically, my light will not be concealed spiritually. Malachi 4.2 says this, But for you who hear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. When we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the ministry of Jesus, that is certainly what we see. Luke 1, 78 and 79. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give us light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, Jesus came down from heaven to be with us, to give us light, because we were the ones that sat in darkness. We were the ones in the shadow of death, and he delivers us. And then John 1.14, at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. So when Jesus is saying, I am, he is saying that it was I that was with you. It was I that guided you through the wilderness. It was I that provided you with comfort and with protection, and it is I that gave you my presence. Now that's one half of the equation. That is the I am portion of this statement. But Jesus also says something else. He also says that I am the light of the world. And so what does it mean for Jesus to claim that he is the light of the world? For Jesus to be the light of the world, it means that he illuminates a dark world. He lights a path of true life. He inspires hope to press on during hard times. Our first point today is that in Jesus, and in Jesus being the light of the world, that we will not walk in darkness. We will not walk in darkness. This means that we walk away from the darkness and away from the sin that is in our life. If Jesus is a part of our lives, then he shines his light on our lives, and we have no choice but to flee to him and away from the sin and away from the darkness that is in our lives. By saying that we will not walk in the darkness, it means two things. And the first of those is we realize the darkness that we have been living in. We realize that we don't have to wallow in the sin and the shame and the darkness that encompasses and engulfs our lives day by day by day. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That means that we will not continue on in our sin. We have been set free. Jesus' light has shined down on our darkness. It has found us right where we are, whatever situation that may be. No matter how far you feel that you have distanced yourself from Jesus, Jesus says, my light shines down on that. I see the mess that you're in, and I'm here to deliver you from that. I think a lot of us think that we are okay when it comes to the sin and this darkness that I'm up here saying is in our lives, but really we don't see it ourselves. We think we're, we're pretty good people. I think we can continue to think we're pretty good people as long as we keep Jesus at a distance. Because one thing that I've learned is that if you have a flashlight in a dark room and it's just barely shining any light, or if you've got a match and you've got it lit, it puts off a little bit of light. But when you put that next to a thousand lumen flashlight, that light seems like nothing. And so when we take our lives where they are and the messes that we find ourselves in, the sin that we find ourselves addicted to or struggling to get out of or just dealing with on a daily basis, and we compare that to the light and the life of Jesus, it shines down on us and the things that we're dealing with, and we see the dirty, messy, scary parts of our lives. I developed this weird habit at the beginning of college, all right? And don't worry, this isn't going to a weird place, okay? Just say at the beginning of college. 
people start to worry. <laughs> okay. Uh, I got pretty OCD, and I tried to procrastinate on a lot of the coursework that I was going through. And so before I would ever sit down to study, before I would ever sit down to take a quiz or whatever, I would have to clean my room. All right, I got real weird about it. Like I wouldn't even like crack a book open until everything was completely spotless. I'm talking like I would spring clean. I would start dusting and I would find any reason not to get into the zone so that I might be distracted from the studying that I would be in by distracting myself from actually getting to that study. And what I found is one day I was dusting, got home from school, it was time to do some study. I was dusting my desk. I was like, man, you know, this room's pretty clean. I think I'm about ready to start studying. I think it's about time. Get in the zone, turn some music on, pour some coffee. It's time to get smart, okay? Uh, as smart as a community college can get you. And so then I opened the window. And as I drew the blinds back, as I pulled back the curtains, you know what I saw throughout the air as the sun beamed through that window and into my room? Oh, my goodness. I thought I just dusted this place. Oh, my goodness. I can't even, how can I breathe in this room with all the dust particles that are in the air, like just floating? You're like, how do you even, do you just take a vacuum and wave it through the air and suck all those up? I'm not really sure. And then I looked at my desk, and the places where I thought were clean on my desk were covered in dust. I think the same happens for us when we come into contact with Jesus, and we truly allow him not to be at a distance, but to come into our lives and really enter them right where we are is we see our sin for what it is. We see the things that we're messed up on. We see our habits and our hang-ups and our struggles and our temptations and our addictions. And we see them for what they are. And we don't compare ourselves to the person next to us that's holding up their little match and we have our little match and, oh, look at us, we're just, we got a little bit of light and we're good and I'm just a good person, so I'll just continue on. When you take good, when you take all right, and you compare it to, compare it to perfection, there's no comparison. We need Jesus, and Jesus was perfect, and Jesus was the light, and so Jesus will not allow us to continue on in darkness. And so we realize the darkness that we've been living in, but we also move from darkness to light. There was a woman at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 8, the very beginning of the chapter that we're in today, who was caught in the act of adultery, okay? Think about this scenario. She's caught in the act of, the, of adultery, and these men drag her out of the scenario, and they take her before Jesus, who is in the, this public domain, and they throw her before Jesus, and they say, Jesus, based on the law of Moses, we get to throw rocks at her until she dies. What do you say? And Jesus knew that they were trying to catch him in a snare, and so Jesus says something that I know a lot of us have heard, and it's so beautiful. But he who is without sin casts the first stone. And Jesus kneels down, and he starts to write something in the sand. And he's writing, and men start to turn their backs and walk away. And he continues to write. And it's at this moment that we find ourselves in John chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up to her and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Realizing who he was. Realizing how incredibly special he is. And making him Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, sin 
no more. So we move out of the darkness. When we meet Jesus and we see and identify and put a hand on our sin and we know exactly what it is, we then give it over to him, realizing that he died on the cross for it, that we have been forgiven if we put our trust and our faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of that sin and we move from it. We repent. We ask for forgiveness and we turn and we run from it 180 degrees. But we also realize that we are not condemned. Now these men that pulled this woman out into the street that was caught in the act of adultery, they were the ones that were accusing her. They were the ones that was condemning her. And Jesus does not pile on to their already harsh, harsh accusations. Jesus does not exploit her any more than these men already have. Jesus does not make her feel any worse or any more shame than she already is. But Jesus, seeing the hearts of those wicked men that brought her out before him and trying to, to trap him, says, you without sin, cast the first stone. And then he continues on. Who knows what he wrote on the ground? Maybe it was the sins of the people that were around him. And as they turned, he says, hey, stand up and look. No one is condemning you. But he also says, go and sin no more. He gives direction and he sends her out. He's saying, you acknowledge me as Lord now. Now you go and you sin no more. He doesn't say, all right, you're good. Now go about your day. And she ends up right back in the same situation that she was in. Jesus says, go and sin no more. If I am Lord, then go and sin no more. That is no longer who you are. You have been delivered from this situation. Now go sin no more. Second point is we look for Jesus's direction. We look for Jesus's direction. In the wilderness, they have the cloud, right? Sometimes I think that would be pretty sweet. I think a lot of days I would trade in a cloud that Apple owns that has a lot of my pictures and information for a cloud that would give me just a physical sign in the sky that would shade me from the brutal Arizona sun that we are experiencing here in our second summer and that would give me some kind of direction in life. I think that would be pretty sweet. I can tell by the way that this cloud is forming that I need to go this way. I can tell by the way that the cloud is forming today and it's heading in this direction that I need to do this in my job. I can tell by the way that the cloud is heading this way that I should take this route with my family. Or I can tell in this difficult relationship based on what the cloud, you know, it's making like a, a, a different kind of shape today. And I can tell by the way that shape looks that I need to do this in this hard relationship. And then a pillar of fire at night. I just think a pillar of fire would be a really sweet thing to have in your life. To illuminate the night, maybe it would kill all the mosquitoes. It would probably be super hot. But when it came to the Israelites wandering throughout the wilderness, God never left them hanging. And in the dark and directionless world, Jesus shows us the way. Jesus does not leave us hanging either. We may not have a cloud or a pillar of fire, but we have Jesus present with us. That Shekinah glory, the thing that they were celebrating as they danced around these huge torches surrounding the temple, lighting up Jerusalem with their symbols. They were celebrating Shekinah glory. They were celebrating the presence of God with them. And we now have the presence of God with us in Jesus. Not only do we have the presence of God with us, we know that we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. 
when we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. And so when we are looking for direction in our lives, do I need to go and do this thing? Do I need to seek after this job? Do I need to go here? Do I need to do that? How am I supposed to raise my kids? What do I do here? It gets a little tiring and it gets scary. But it's not based on our logic. It's not fully based on our reasoning, on our understanding or how many books we can read. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God inside of us. It comes with so much more experience than we could ever imagine that has been there from the beginning of time. And that power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that is living inside of you when you put your faith and trusted in Jesus and when you follow him. So it's no longer on you. You feel like all that weight, all that burden is on your shoulders. It's not all on you. It is going to be okay because you have Jesus beside you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And not only that, but we have the Word of God that we can pick up, that we can read. I can't drive anywhere without Google Maps. I'm going to be really honest right now, all right? That's not a real masculine thing to say. I wish I could stand up here and say, I'm a wayfinder, and I just travel everywhere with a compass, all right? If I don't memorize where the place is, I'm not going to get there. It's going to take an hour and a half at least because I'm going to think that a road looks familiar and I'm going to turn down that road and then I'm going to get distracted and then just not end up where I'm supposed to be. I need GPS coordinates to get me exactly where I need to go. The same is true for God's Word. We're all traveling through life. We're all on this journey trying to get to a destination of closer in to Jesus further in our relationships with him. We all have goals that we want to obtain. We all want to advance the kingdom because we're part of a bigger story. And a lot of us are going without the map. A lot of us are going without GPS. We've been given the word of God. So many of the questions that we have, if we just pick up God's word, we would find the answer for if we just seek it out. So let's pick up God's word. Let's pick up the sword. Let's fight. Let's pick up the map. Let's navigate. Let's get to the destination and not on what we think is right, not on our desires, not on our logic, not on our experience, but the experience of God and his word to us. I think a lot of us navigate through life like it's an obstacle course, and that's fair because I think life is an obstacle course. But in the obstacle course of life, we do not know what is ahead of us, and so we have a blindfold that is around our eyes. And not only that, but it's like somebody turned the lights out on the obstacle course. And even if life was a breeze, even if you only had one obstacle that was 15 feet in front of you and five feet to the right, and all you ever had to do was just walk forward and you were going to get there and you were going to be okay, what happens? You don't know that. You have a blindfold on. And so you close your eyes or maybe you open them under the blindfold like the kid that always cheats at hitting the pinata at the birthday parties. All right, I know who you are. You start walking, and you're questioning every step. I don't know if this is the right step. I don't know if I'm going to run into something. What do I do? I'm just going to, oh, you know what? I think I need to veer off this way. Okay, I'm going to, now I'm going to go back straight, and you know what? This feels right, and eventually all we ever had to do was just walk forward, but eventually we ended up hitting that obstacle, and it ruins everything, and that's if life is easy. Now let's talk about life, how it really is. It's like doing the American Ninja Warrior course blindfolded, okay? Let's picture the same obstacle course, but right here is a bear trap. Over there is a, a trip wire, and it's going to explode something. There's a mine over there, 
And lasers are cool. There's going to be some lasers over there, and it's going to just ruin your whole day. And so now you have a blindfold on, and you're trying to navigate throughout life on your own accord and in your own standards and by your own will. And if I can just get more motivated, then maybe I could take a step forward. And I, I really think this is the right way to go. And boom, step on the mine. And there's a price to pay. And there's a setback. And so you eventually recover and you start going forward. Okay, maybe I need to, boom, another thing sets off. That's what life looks like when we try to go about it on our own. But we're not on our own. The presence of Jesus is with us. The, the wisdom, the discernment, the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And we have God's word as a roadmap to show us the way. And so now we take this obstacle course and we can be blindfolded all day long. But there is somebody in my ear whispering, okay, stop. Okay, now I need you to catch your breath right here. You've been hitting it pretty hard. I need you to be kind to yourself. I need you to take a break. All right, now that you've rested, let's go forward. But you know what? We're going to take a right. And so you track a little bit further to the right. Okay, now, God, I'm not really sure where I need to go from here, but I'm reliant. I'm, in, I'm dependent on you. Yeah, I see you. I know that you are. I know that you're seeking me. Just go back straight. Go straight. Turn slightly to the left. Go straight. Go straight. Stop. I'm going to give you a feeling on your heart. There's something in front of you that's, that's not right. It's going to look right, but it's not the right path that I have for you. And it's going to look good, but it's not my great. And so, you know what? Pause right here. Take a left. All right, I'm taking a left. All right, now straighten back out on course. Now follow that. That is the goodness. That is the kindness. That is the power of navigating life when we have God with us. It is no longer on us, so don't be stressed out. Don't act like it is all on you because it is not all on you. You have God with you. Third point, final point this morning, is we have Jesus' light. Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have the light of life. Jesus wasn't just saying that they would have the light of life there in that moment, in that courtyard, because his disciples were with him in the treasury of the temple. No, Jesus is saying that I have the light of life. I am the light of life. And Jesus knew exactly what he would do when he would take the cross. And then he says, now the light of life is yours. So I am the main light. You are reflecting me, but also you obtain this light for yourself. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were in darkness, weren't we all? But now you are light in the Lord. So Christian, you are light. The light that was Jesus is now in you. Matthew 5.14, we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We cannot hide that light. We cannot put it under a basket. And then Philippians 2.15, shine as light in the world. We were once in darkness, but now we get to help guide other people out of darkness and into the light. That is why God has put you here. That is why God has put you in the place that you work. That is why God has put you in your families. That's why God has given you the relationships that he has given you. That's why you find yourselves in the places that you find yourselves. It's not because you're just wandering around aimlessly like a chicken with his head cut off. No, we have a guide, and when we listen to the guide, we are not wandering around. We are being sent from place to place to place. 
And what's the reason? What's the purpose? The purpose is that you need to be a light in the darkness. There are other people that are stepping on trip mines. There are other people that are absolutely devastating their lives because they have not found true life in Jesus. You know who has found true life in Jesus? We have. We have the light. So what are we doing hiding it? What are we doing being scared? We're the ones that should be confident. We get to see everything around us. We don't have to hide and cower in fear. But we get to help other people navigate what is in the darkness when we point them to Jesus. And so because Jesus is light, because he is the light of the world, because we will no longer walk in darkness, let us be the light. Let us lead others out of darkness into Jesus. Let us share the good news. That for God so loved them that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for them so that they could be put in right relationship with him so that they could receive forgiveness of their sins so that they wouldn't have to stay here in the darkness forever but so that they could be transferred into the kingdom of light so that they could find true life and that is in Jesus in Jesus alone so church family this week let's be the light let's pray Jesus, we thank you that you have taken us out of the darkness. We thank you that you are the light of the world, and we thank you that in you is the good news, is the best news, that we can be transferred from darkness to light. Thank you. Thank you for that, Father, that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for us so that that would be possible. Father, I pray this morning that we would not remain in the darkness. And if we are remaining in darkness in our sin, having experienced the light and run back into the darkness, thinking that was going to be a better way of life, God, that you would convict our hearts. That your light would permeate even to the darkest places in our lives and that it would call us back home, back into your arms. Jesus, I pray that as a church, we would be light. We would be light in this community. That we would live here, that we would love here, that we would serve here. And that through the light that you have given us, that people would see the true source of light that we are putting out. And that is you, Jesus. And that they would feel loved. That they would feel welcomed. And that they would come to know you, Jesus. Help us to be the light this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen.